everybody, and welcome to The Kitchen Table. I am Justin White. I am your host. I am sitting here again with the talent, Josh Winter. We are talking today about tough conversations. We brought in Angela Hines, Miss Angela Hines, the HR manager. She corrected me. She's not the director. She's the HR manager for the fire department. And we're talking about tough conversations. Tough conversations are of benefit or can be of benefit to team building. What would you say to that? I guess in, in a word, absolutely. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it's, it's, you look at what we do and, um, you know, especially look at everything about what we do from how we live together, we eat together, we sleep together, we work together, we're together for 24 hours, and we have to be able to um, operate as a team on so many different levels. And, you know, the foundation of teamwork, in my opinion, would be trust. Um, having, being able to have these conversations is kind of a building block to trust. Um, you know, if, if you and I are working together um, and you're my boss, you know, um, for me to be able to come to you and, and let you know how I feel, what I'm thinking, things that are going on in my life, the decisions that I'm making, it's really kind of opening up that conversation and it's allowing you to understand me better and that gives you the ability to um, kind of give me the resources that I need, you know, I guess mentally and, um, you know, not only physically but mentally and emotionally to, for me to be able to be successful at my job. And I think if you look at our, our teams, you know, from single company to double company house to, um, you know, even on larger incidents, you know, um, the, the communication, being able to have these difficult conversations and be okay with it and, and uh, be open to those is helping us to become a tighter knit team. So I want to expand the conversation a little bit. I want to expand it past the people we have in our fire station and, and, and talk about all the civilian folks that work with us on a daily basis to support those operations. Are tough conversations important for that team building as well? Yes. Um, I think that, um, you know, and I'll use just HR specifically, you know, a lot of what I've been able to learn about having tough conversations and the words to use and how to set up the conversation. A lot of it's been done through, you know, communicating with, with um, our HR resources, you know, like Captain Halsey and Angela Hines and even, you know, Amy and, and Tammy, you know, just being over there and being able to communicate with them and work through problems with them. Um, you know, I'll use Tammy as an example. I mean, for a lot of years, we all know that sometimes our, our, um, our pay stubs are a little bit difficult to read and being able to work through a conversation and being able for me to articulate to her that I'm not understanding what she's telling me and then for her to be able to articulate the information back in a way that, um, that I understand. You know, not that that's a tough conversation, but you know, it's, it teaches us how to communicate with, with them. And really what that's done for me is it's allowed me to build a relationship with, you know, Tammy in, in particular. I mean, I know she's retired now, but, um, you know, that opened up the door to conversations about where she's from and where she, you know, how she grew up and about her husband and her family. And it created a relationship that when I came back later, she 
understood where I was coming from if I was frustrated or, um, you know, having trouble, you know, working through an issue. Sure. And then and Tammy and now Suzanne is a good example of civilian to sworn conversations, very tough conversations. Um, we have a lot of folks now that are medically retiring. We have a lot of folks now that are negatively impacted by COVID. Um, those are tough conversations, if not from the person who's retiring or having the negative impact, but from, you know, Tammy back to the other person and, and, and not because Tammy or the other person are doing anything wrong. They're just difficult life conversations. They're, they're awkward. Right. Right. And I think Angela touched on it in our conversation with her, but you know, it's really important for us to understand there, they put on the pants the same way we do in the morning. They're human as well. And for them to be able to do their job, you know, whether it's letting somebody go or just delivering some type of bad news to somebody, you know, it does have an impact on them, you know, just like it, it does us, even though that we, you know, I say we from the line side, you mm -hmm. know, are sometimes the receiver of that, um, you know, but I think that that's where, you know, sometimes grace comes in and kind of having that understanding of, you know, what that person that they're doing their job and they're playing a role on this department and we're all, you know, out there for the, the greater good of the organization. You know, that's what our, our teamwork is all about. The other thing I wanted to expand upon is what direction the tough conversation comes from. Oftentimes we think about tough conversations coming from the top down. You know, I as a battalion chief or you as a company officer talking to someone that works for them about something that's difficult or uncomfortable. Does that always have to be the case? Can it go the other way? Yeah, and, and I think that, you know, when you look at the top-down conversation, I feel that's what we signed up for. You know, when I, you know, raise my hand and, and take an oath, I am saying that I am willing to have these difficult conversations for the greater good of the organization. You know, the, the firefighter or the, I'd say the subordinate, I would say it's even more challenging. It can be even more challenging for them to go to their boss or go to the, you know somebody superior or higher in rank um, in the organization and be able to have a conversation about something that either they're not comfortable about or that they don't agree with, or maybe they've got a boss that has made a bad decision and they want to have that conversation. Um, so I think it's almost a bigger deal for the junior person to go to the more senior or the promoted person to have that difficult conversation. Um, I think that's a really important thing for us to recognize. My last question, and this is kind of outside what we've talked about as far as this topic, so, um, but why is it so important for us to one, want to have these conversations and two, to actually have the conversations? I would almost start by saying, <clears throat> excuse me, I would almost start by saying that the sooner that we can have these conversations, the better of an outcome we could expect. Um, the longer that we let the conversations sit on the back burner, um, the longer that we let things fester, the greater the chance of things going sideways, things going wrong. You know, I think there's greater potential for that. So obviously timing plays a role in it. You know, if I need to have a difficult conversation, um, you're my boss and you've made a decision that impacts me in a negative, negative way, 
it might not be the right time to immediately have that conversation with you. Maybe I need 24 hours, you know, maybe I just need an hour to, okay, let me let myself, you know, process what happened and then go back and have that conversation. But on the flip side of that is if I let this go and it's really bothering me and I wait a week, a month, a year, all this is gonna do is just gonna create animosity between myself and you really between me because you have no idea that it's that I have this problem because really that's what it is is I have a problem and I need to be able to have this conversation with you so um, I think the timing of it's very important Um, I think that the longer that we wait the worse it's going to get you know there's a way to have these conversations that we can do it in a way that's safe that it's respectful um, and it's a way that um, we can both walk away from the conversation benefiting from it yeah and I think the reason you want to have these conversations is because you're coming from a good place right like you, you want to help that person um, be more successful and if there's something that's an obstacle that's getting in their way that's causing them to have you know do these negative things uh, that we think of for example we talked about with uh, Miss Hines we talked about sick leave abuse you know usually there's something behind it you know it's not like you know someone's going to a concert every Friday night so they're just calling off sick right usually there's some sort of uh, obstacle or some sort of something going on in their life that they need help right and so the, the difficult topic is the abuse of the sick leave but if it comes from a good heart, you're looking, you know, to provide that person with opportunities to get better, to, to remove those obstacles, and to be ultimately be successful in their job. Um, so unless you're, you're able to root out the problem, the root problem or the root cause of the issue, um, you're probably not able to put, you know, all the all the resources you have to bear on it to help them out. Yeah. And if you don't know what the problem is or that root that root problem, you can't you can't provide them with the help that they need. So if you come from a place with a good heart, um, which is, you know, everybody talks about servant leadership and that's, that's the essence of it, right? Taking all the obstacles out of way and serving that person, um, to make them the best that they can be. Um, that's what it's all about. I mean, we all talk about when we do interviews for, for promotions and stuff, it's all about the people. It's all about the people. It's all about the people. Well, it's all about the people right up until you have to have that hard conversation and it might be you know there might be some conflict or it might be uncomfortable well get over that stuff so you can get to the all about the people part and that should drive you to want to have these conversations yeah and the other thing you just did is you just brought it full circle back to trust again Um, you know if you are coming to me um, as the subordinate and having a difficult conversation with me it really on my side it comes down to trust do i trust that you're doing it for the right reasons are you am i trusting that you're doing it because you want to make me better and you're willing to give me you know have the hard conversation with me or you know do i think that you are out to get me for some reason and hopefully you know that's not the case most of the time or almost all the time our organization hopefully we're you know getting to a place where we understand that when somebody comes and says hey as you know as a subordinate i'm i'm having this conversation with you um, because i want to make you better and that person truly believes that okay i'm willing to accept this information because i know it's coming from the right place sure and we shouldn't discount um, how hard these conversations are right i mean i am not i'm not a conflict person I don't like to be in conflict with people. I don't debate well. 
I'm not on the forensic team at, you know, your local college. I just, I'm not good at it, you know, and I don't like it. But I think because I'm ultimately looking to make someone better or help someone out, that helps me go forward and have that conversation. Yes, absolutely. All right, let's go to our interview with Miss Angela Hines. Welcome everybody to the kitchen table. This week we are joined by our HR director. Is that the correct title? HR manager, but manager. you can call me director if I you like. like. Di- I like director better. It sounds so <laughs> important. Miss Angela Hines, thank you for being here. You're welcome. Um, as we do with all our guests, we ask them to kind of introduce themselves and then tell us how you got to this point. What okay. led you to the fire department and to, to be here today? So I um, actually went to um, my last year and a half of high school at Palmer. So my dad retired from the the Air Force and we moved to Colorado Springs and I ended up at Palmer, then ended up at Colorado College. And after I graduated from CC, I uh, took a job in Manitou Springs as the police and fire, as a police and fire dispatcher and um, found my way about six months later um, as a dispatcher for fire and police up in Breckenridge, which was a blast. So I was there for three years, um, ended up getting married, moved to Santa Fe, and worked for um, the state of New Mexico. So I worked for um, public health. And um, I was there for about eight years. And my twins um, fortunately got accepted to Colorado College, so they came up. And then the following year, my youngest son got accepted. So I found three myself with three children at CC, and I had been very much connected with the college for probably since I graduated. So they offered me a job um, as the Associate Director of Alumni and Parent Relations. So I found myself back in Colorado Springs and missed HR very much, loved, loved the students and the parents and just the, all the activities that go on on campus all the time. But the salary that that school pays is not something that somebody could live on when you have three kids at that school. So um, one night my boss was sitting in a local bar next to a retired firefighter and they were talking and the retired firefighter told my um, boss at the time that uh, the department, fire department was looking for an HR manager. So the next day he said, I know you're, you know, you want to get the heck out of here. There's a job at the fire department. So I applied for it and got hired. And so that's how you ended up with me. There's so, there's almost a closed circle in there. So you were a dispatcher here in town, right? Yep. In Manitou. Okay. Okay. Who, do you remember who the retired firefighter was that, that I, you guys were talking to? I do, but I'm not going to tell you who that was. Why not? No, we can't. Is that, that's a good is thing. That, that's like privileged information. It's a secret. Is it? Wow. Yes. Okay. Okay. I guess we won't. I guess we can't pry. No, well, we could. <laughs> but I, don't, I don't know how far we're going to get. Remember, in, I'm the HR manager. Yeah. I have to keep secrets. Yes, so. and yeah, we know you're very good at uh, <laughs> at what you do. 
So, so we're here today. Um, we brought you in to talk about difficult conversations. Um, you and yes. Josh had a conversation what, about three weeks ago and kind of spurred you guys to bring come together and, and provide some information to our folks that can maybe help them guide guide them through some of these difficult conversations. So let's start with Josh and kind of kick this off and describe how we how we got here and uh, how we picked this topic. Right. So and it was just like that. And actually, um, we were in my office and um, I think you came in for something. I can't remember what it was. And while you were in there, I think that around that same time, I had just had a conversation with somebody that was um, difficult, harder. It was just one of those ones that sometimes we have to have as company officers. And I believe that I asked you, um, you know, what is the right words? You know, how do we start these conversations? How can we make somebody feel comfortable enough to be able to um, answer us and, and have a real conversation with this person? And that just kicked off. I, I think that we sat and talked for 20 or 30 minutes just about, um, you know, how, how to do these, how to have these conversations and make people feel kind of safe when we do it. And during that time, um, I think I said, we need to do this on the podcast. And you said, absolutely. Yeah. And that uh, kind of brought us to today, right? That's exactly what happened. And I think, too, we were, I think we talked about just in general um, how oftentimes because people are not comfortable having these conversations that a lot of times um, situations that are, or issues that are very, um, at the time, just beginning to develop or maybe on a smaller scale end up um, really blowing up and becoming super complicated. And so at the time, you know, a supervisor or even an employee comes to me and says, hey, there's this issue I need to talk to you about. I, mean, I oftentimes think, you know, um, it's tough to have these conversations, but if you, if you get the courage to have it early, it's a lot simpler to untangle everything than if you wait and you kind of let it stew and it gets really bigger and um, you start to um, imagine things that maybe aren't there and just that whole stress and everything ends up making it much more difficult. So I think we talked about how do we get people to um, go to that uncomfortable place and how to get started having this difficult conversation. So in your world, how would you define a dif difficult conversation? Um, I think it's, you know, any time that you, um, again, whether you're a supervisor or an employee, where you recognize that there's an issue or a problem that either makes you uncomfortable or the individual uncomfortable or other people that um, in the organization uncomfortable, and um, you know that it's something that you need to um, work through or resolve, because if you don't, it's going to become you know, a bigger issue. And it doesn't really have to really be related to anything like discipline or it doesn't have to be anything that um, you know requires uh, involvement with HR or up you know going up the chain of command it could just simply be something as simple as somebody coming into late work or into work late or um, you know some you notice that somebody is is out sick sick often um, you could even notice that somebody who is normally kind of upbeat and and happy and positive, their behavior changes, and they're more, uh, they're more, more quiet or um, like kind of withdrawing. And so, anytime you kind of get a feeling, or someone comes to you and says, you know, I, you know, I'm concerned about um, this individual, or the individual says, I'm not happy. That's when you kind of know it's time to have 
a difficult conversation. I wanted to add something to that really quick. We are, as an organization, we're growing very quickly. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, there's people out there in fire stations that I've never even met before. Um, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, we got to know each other very well. And as peers, coworkers, somebody could walk into a station and we would know each other so well that you could tell right off the bat that that person was having a bad day. And we had a relationship established already where we could just go, what's going on with you today? Maybe that's not the right words, but, um, you know, that could work. And what you were just saying made me think about how we are as an organization. And if I don't know the person, it might be a little bit more difficult for me just to open up that conversation. I might just look at them and go, oh, I don't know this person very well. That Maybe that's just who they normally are. Mm-hmm. And it might kind of slow me down from asking the question, like, hey, are you doing okay today? Um, so I think that, you know, something important to note just with the growth of our organization right now. Um, you also, you said, um, you talked about, and, and I'm going to use the words of the story that I tell myself. Um, that's not the words that you used, but I had heard that on a different podcast that I listened to um, where they're talking about people. When they don't have an answer, they make one up mm-hmm. in their head. Yep. And you just talked about that. And I think that's really important for us to consider as well. Like if we don't have these conversations right off the bat, I know that I'm going to think worst case scenario and I'm yep. going to come up with this crazy story mm-hmm. where there's probably a very simple solution to it. So yeah. I thought that and was... And I, I think too that we also, um, you know, we, we, because we're human beings and we have all these experiences. So even, you know, with me, um, you know, I care, everybody carries a backpack and everybody has stuff in their backpack. And so anytime you're engaging with an individual, particularly when it's a stressful situation or um, there's, you know, issues in the background, you've got your little backpack on and you're gonna, you know, you're gonna go and you're gonna put, take out things out of your backpack and lay them on the table. And you're gonna lay them out in front of that person. And so you're gonna push your, push your stuff towards that person and put that on them because now it's easier if you take your stuff and put it in their backpack and so I think um, if you learn learn to leave everything in your backpack and then come to the table with um, an open mind and not a preconceived um, uh, idea about what's going on with them or um, what they're going to say then it's much easier to have that conversation and I think you know uh, the opposite of that is when someone's having a difficult conversation with you and you're the re- the initial re- recipient, that you do the same, that you don't take everything out of your backpack, like, oh, I know what they're going to say, or I'm in trouble. I, I hear that a lot. Um, you know, it's funny when I call fire stations, not so much now, but when I first got hired, I would call a fire station and I would ask to talk to somebody, and it was usually because they called me already, and they were asking me, a question about how do I interpret my paycheck or you know is my wife or husband on my benefit plan and I would call the station and I could hear people say it's Angela Hines you're in trouble and I'm like hey you know I don't call people when they're in I obviously wouldn't call you on the phone at a station when you're in trouble but it was interesting to me that people automatically assume that you know because the HR lady or HR man carries a backpack full of things that make people feel uncomfortable they're putting that onto onto my phone call and so I really try to um, particularly for me too is like okay I'm gonna have this conversation with this individual but I don't want to take stuff out of my backpack 
that I've been hauling around and put it on this person. I need to hear what what they are truly experiencing before I make a determination about how I'm going to respond. Yeah, I think, um, especially in this profession, I think sometimes that's hard because we always want to have the answer. And when somebody comes to us or when we're having a conversation, I know for myself particularly, and I'm sure others, that I usually want to give them an answer before I really understand. So that's something that I've had to mm-hmm. really practice over the years is being able to listen just a little bit longer and not hear half of their statement and then try to give them an answer. Um, because every time that I've done that, it's usually misguided. It usually goes the wrong direction. Um, I did also, I want to add something else about, because you talked about people thinking that the reason why you're calling is a discipline issue. Um, I've had a couple or a few people that um, are kind of in my circle that I communicate with and um, about kind of work-related stuff. And I've had a couple of them ask me questions where I didn't know the answer um, or have a great answer for them. And I've told a couple of people, I'm like, have you asked HR? Have you talked to Angela or JJ? And they're like, no. And I'm like, that's, that's, they've got the answers for this one. And it wasn't even on their radar. And I, I've been in that same boat in the past too. But then I've had a couple people call me back after and go, Hey, the best advice that you've ever given me was to call HR. And so I think that one of the things that is misguided in our organization is that you are there as a resource and a tool to help us with a lot of things, not just discipline or help me understand my paycheck. Um, You know, just like kind of what we're trying to talk about today is just how do we have these conversations? What's the right words to use? And I have um, probably every single day I have really difficult conversations, whether it's with an employee that is in a crisis or um, if it's one of the chiefs or with you know city attorney's office or with city HR um, you know I have a lot of bosses I report to um, all of the chiefs and then I have this reporting structure downtown and so um, I have difficult conversations all day long and it's anything from pay, you know, payroll issues to medical issues to you know hey somebody's not performing type of issues and so um, not something that I ever imagined I would do for a living but I think you know having difficult conversations is my business and so um, I just do it all the time, and so I've, while I'm, I have to say I'm still very uncomfortable, particularly when we're doing like with the recruit academy. If we have to terminate somebody because they just can't do the job, those are really awful. Um, the night before that happens, I lay awake and I. This is where I start pulling out stuff that's not really may not be there, but I start thinking about, you know, well they've moved across country, they've bought a home, they have a mortgage, they just had a baby, their spouse is going to be upset, their fa- their parents are going to be disappointed, um, they're not going to be able to buy diapers and formula, and you know they're going to be under under one of the bridges in town, drinking out of a, a brown paper sack, you know that type of thing. So I get really. Um, my imagination gets takes off with me but then I realize that um, that's because I really um, feel that we're you know we're dealing with human beings and this is a hard thing to do and even though it has to be done it's still we have to do what we want to and have to do it with respect and kindness so I think that um, 
it's important to understand that sometimes you have to have difficult conversations even when the outcome isn't you know the best but it's the right thing to do but you know it's just become something that I've done um, do a lot not necessarily on the discipline side but just in general just having these types of conversations I think you make a good point because uh, as you as you were talking through this um, when I have to have difficult conversations I often look at well what am I intending to do why am I going to talk to this person you know and 99.9% of the time it's well intended you know mm -hmm. we're trying to find out if you know is there something wrong that I can help with um, are there issues that we need to correct and what what obstacles can I move out of the way to, to help correct those so most of the time these difficult conversations are with people and for people with the hope that we can help them out help them be successful in whatever they're doing help them um, live within the guidelines and the expectations of the organization those type of things it's never to punish somebody necessarily it's to make sure that they're doing well even when we're terminating for someone we need to look at well are we doing what's best for the organization yes this is going to impact them personally but maybe they're struggling in the academy maybe they're having uh, they're struggling with their interpersonal relationships within the academy and we recognize that they're going to struggle throughout the career their career the next 30 years of their life and maybe the best thing for them is to cut relationships with this organization so they can get it into an organization or into a job that they're better fit for so they can live a more productive life you know there have been so I've been here it'll be 10 years in January this coming January and there have been individuals who are not with the department anymore who um, I feel like I was pretty close to you know develop relationships with them because they maybe popped in the office one day and we sat down and started talking about um, I mean I'm not a hunter but you know I people would tell me hunting stories or maybe people have children that um, are doing something interesting and we would just start up this conversation so whenever I would see them you know at, at a retirement ceremony or promotional ceremony or at a station you know we would um, we'd hug and be happy to see each other and so there some of those people are not in the department anymore and I remember you know when they were in the in my office with the chief or the deputy chief and we were saying you can't be an employee anymore that um, you know, I would tell them that this is a very difficult situation to be in because I care about you as a person, but you can no longer be an employee here. But that doesn't mean that I don't still care about them and, you know, I would always hug them and, and wish them well. And so I think you can have difficult conversations with people that you care about um, and still know that you are doing the right thing for them and for the, for the organization. Yeah, and that's, you know, Josh and I have talked a lot about the, the idea of servant leadership and what it is to be a servant leader. And it's not necessarily being a subservient leadership and enabling people to not be their best. It's serving them with the mindset like, I'm here to do my job to make sure that you are as successful as possible and providing you the tools and removing the obstacles. And sometimes in doing that, it takes tough love and it takes difficult conversations 
um, to pull the best out of p people or to put them in a situation that's best for them so they can be the most successful. Yeah, it, it, it's funny, we do this, a lot of people don't like this analogy, but we do this with our families and our kids all the time. You know, we, um, you know, ground them or we take something away from them and as they get older, the consequences kind of change and, and get different. Um, but unfortunately, in this organization or probably even in this career, a lot of times, people don't always look at it like you as the boss, um, you know, manager, leader, whatever your position is at that particular time, they don't always look at, at it as you're trying to do the best for them and the organization. And, and it's tough because there's that fine line, you know, of, of you know, when is it time to let somebody go and when is it time to uh, maybe just take away a day's work from them? Or is it just that one conversation of, hey, I just want to make my expectations clear. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think this is a really good opportunity just to say like, hey, this is a professional organization. And I think our intent is everybody here should want everybody around us to be really great at their job and just be good people and, and work really well together. You know, I um, have often encouraged um, folks who are promoting especially to lieutenant and some people have taken me up on this offer and I've so I've had folks come to me and sit and talk and um, say so you know I'm gonna promote I'm gonna take the promotional test and um, and even after people get promoted to lieutenant they'll come by and say hey you know what are some pointers that that will be helpful for me in this new role and so I tell them that the folks that um, typically struggle are the ones who have a difficult time having the conversations and so we kind of talk about kind of like what we're talking about right now about how to uh, make that that leap from being you know one of the crew to now you know you walk into a station and everybody's like hey you know yeah why should we follow you and so how to have those conversations and particularly when you've got um, you have individuals who um, may have um, been have had not have had the, the attention that they need I'm trying to say this delicately but people who maybe have had some issues in the past and no one's really addressed them and so now you walk into the station and you've got this person who is a little going to be a little bit challenging and and they're gonna they don't want to listen to you they don't care that you're the lieutenant they feel like you know that you should be listening to them and so we often will sit and talk about how do you um, you know walk into a station and start to lay out expectations but at the same time listen to what the folks there have been doing before you got there and that was very much something that I had to deal with when I first got hired and you know I get in go into the HR office and there's three people that have been there for a while and I don't know anything about fire HR you know I had worked for public health totally different and so I had to learn this whole new language I had to learn I think it was actually three years before I really while I was sitting in a budget meeting before I really understood what everybody was talking about so you know I had to rely on people who were already in place who um, already knew their job and ran things the way they wanted to and then I come in and I'm like how do I integrate myself get my job done respect what they're doing but also make changes that need to be changed because I you know when I was hired during my interview they said here are the issues that we're dealing with can you help us fix these things so it was it's interesting 
how you're learning your job, but also having to make changes and then get buy-in at the same time. So those were really, those are really difficult situations and difficult conversations that I had to have. Yeah. You know. I think a lot of times it's, you know, and it's okay to be upfront with that, especially if you're a new company officer and you're, say you're, you become part of an established crew mm-hmm. and just to let them know upfront, like, hey, I'm, I'm here. Um, I'm the new company officer at the station, but I need a couple sets to kind of understand how you guys operate first and how you communicate and how you work together as a team. Um, And then after that, then um, I'll set very clear expectations of how I see myself fitting in and what I need from you as a, as a crew. Um, So I don't think that as a, as a new company officer, you don't have to walk in and go, this is who I am. This is exactly what we're doing. And it's starting right now. And, I think you know that's sounds like that's kind of what you're talking about yeah and I think those yeah. that conversation in and of itself is a pretty hard conversation mm-hmm. uh, the officers who are successful with that are the ones that come in and and don't try to take over right off the bat we've seen it um, from fire chiefs on down maybe not necessarily in this department but they come in they try to make changes right off the bat and the department's kind of reeling anyway because they have a new leader, uh, but we've, we've always done it this way. This is the way we do it. And, and, you know, rather than kind of forming themselves to the new um, environment or uh, culture that they're in, they try to make it their last culture. And so when you come into a fire station and you have to deliver that, um, that talk to, to the crews, it's, it's, you know, being humble being saying I don't know anything and saying, hey, I just I want to see how I fit in here. I have some expectations that I'd, I'd like to get out, but this is ones that I, I apply to everybody, regardless of where I'm working on overtime or, or any place else. Um, but once I figure out my, my, my role here and, and what's what I need to be as a leader, um, here's what we're going to do. And I think you know a little bit of humility goes a long way. Yeah. You know, when I when the year that I got hired at Colorado College, I was um, came in under Dick Celeste, Richard Celeste, um, and so probably within six months after I got to Colorado College, um, the new president Jill Tiefenthaler came in. She I think she came from Wake Forest, so she was from different. You know, CC is a different kind of culture than than most other colleges, but she came in, and what I appreciated about her was that she did what she called the year of listening and so she had um, a lot of focus groups that got together and talked about um, the college um, overall and so she just listened and she said there will be no changes the first year and so she gathered and collected all this information from all these focus groups and then the second year was um, the year of doing or the year of planning and then I think the following year was the year of doing and so she really had a plan about how she was going to make the changes that she wanted to see and I really appreciated that she listened she didn't come in and say I don't care how CC's been doing it for the last however many years you know I'm we're going to do it my way it was like let me listen to what works and what doesn't that that makes you feel you feel valued as a as a person within an organization and within a culture that um, they don't discount, you know, what you've built and what the whole organization's built as far as that culture. Um, they come in and listen, and they and they they know there's probably some changes and some tweaks that need to be made. But the whole culture itself, you know, doesn't need to be torn down. Sometimes it does, you know, and those are the you know 
drastic measures that sometimes leaders have to take. But for the most part, I would say those cultures don't need to be broken down. They just need to be, you know, maybe refocused or tweaked a little bit to be more successful. Yeah, and I've seen it done the other way, too. When I, when I worked for the state of New Mexico, um, the governor would every, you know, we'd get a new governor, and so the governor would come in, even some, sometimes during midterm, so the governor would hire what he, what's called their ca- his cabinet, and so these high-level people were cabinet secretaries, and they were each over all of the big divisions, and so Department of Health had its own cabinet secretary, um, high-level person, and they would come in and they'd have, like, their deputies, and so sometimes every two years, like, they would do a major house cleaning and people would leave, and so every two years, they would come in and say, okay, what we did two year, the last two years, we're going to totally scrap and start over. And then you would do something new for two years. And then two years later, somebody else would come in and they would scrap everything. And I always felt like it would have been more beneficial if they had just asked people what worked and what didn't. Because there were times when we were like, we just did this two years ago, and we would just repeat the same mistakes over and over. Yeah. Kind of sounds like love politics. Yeah, <laughs> actually, it kind of sounds like some of the things that we do. Like if you look at the training division, um, be gentle. I'm sitting right here. I, I, I'll, let me try. Let me okay. hold on. Let me rephrase this. This is a tough conversation. <laughs> no, not just particularly us, but as an organization, because we, um, you know, or we transition through this position every two years and now three years, mm-hmm. and I don't think we have a very solid script you know, of this is exactly what we're doing. Um, And even when there is one, the next person can just walk in and go, okay, I'm scrapping that and I'm starting over again. And, you know, I think it it takes a lot to be able to work with, you know, the person, the group before you or the one coming on after you to be able to continue down a path that that is, you know, hopefully going to be successful. Um, I also wanted to say that we keep using the word difficult conversation, difficult conversations. And what I appreciate is that when I hear people like yourself, Angela, that says, um, you know, it's really hard for me to have these conversations. It just makes it normal. You know, I mean, I, I think there's people out there that might go, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just not good at these conversations, so I'm not going to do them. But the reality is that most people out there, it's probably difficult for 99% of the people out there, right? And so just to know that it's not just me, but it's part of the job, it's part of my, you know, current position, and this is something that I have to do. I was never good at, um, throughout my, most of my life, at having difficult conversations in my family, so I'm the oldest of four girls, and so I was like the um, the mini mom, like my mom would say, okay, you guys are all going to go to the swimming pool today, but Angela, you're the, you know, you're the mom. And so if anybody got in trouble, I got in trouble. So, you know, if we got, if somebody got put on restriction or couldn't do something that included me because I was supposed to be watching everybody. So I never really had, was never really good at um, having difficult conversations. My sisters were, but not me. And so it really wasn't, this is terrible, but it really wasn't until after, or while I was going through my divorce and I was in therapy that I really, I mean, my therapist told me, you need to start having really difficult conversations and sticking up for yourself. And that was really hard for me. And so I made sure that my kids were really good at at having difficult conversations. And I think that um, probably the only time I ever stood up for myself was probably my freshman year when I was at CC and I was um, 
my very first block. So it's, you see, we're on a block plan. So you take a semester's worth of classes in three and a half weeks. And so my very first block as a freshman, I took cell biology. And I remember thinking, I'm going to flunk this class. I just knew I was going to flunk. And my parents were going to kill me. And I went to the professor, and his name was Dick Story. And I said, Professor Story, I know I'm going to flunk this class. I don't know what the heck I'm doing in here. I'm such a, I'm so stupid. I mean, I was really suffering from the imposter syndrome. And he said, he started crying. And he said, I am the worst professor on the planet. This is the first college course I've ever taught. My daughter, I have a brand new baby. She was born with a major heart defect. She's at Children's Hospital in Denver. I don't think she's going to live. And, you know, I'm failing my students. And so here I am thinking I'm failing and I'm, you know, going to beg for forgiveness and hope that he passes me. And he's now begging me for forgiveness because he thinks he's a crappy um, professor. And um, I realize that sometimes, you know, when you again, go into a situation where you think you already know like what the outcome is going to be and you know it's going to be difficult and you don't want to do it. Um, when you um, are courageous and you trust that um, maybe if you have this conversation that the outcome will be better than you imagined, um, then that's typically what happens. And so, you know, and he's probably thinking the same thing. He's probably thinking, oh my gosh, I'm feeling these students. I must be a terrible professor. I shouldn't be doing this anymore. And I go in and talk to him, and he realizes that, no, you know, it's kind of both ways. And so um, to this day, he's now, um, I think he's retired. He lives in Montana, but we stayed in touch since, well, actually, he ended up um, being my, my younger sister who also went to CC. He was her professor, too. So we, we stay in touch, and um, he became successful um, as, a, as a college professor. But it, it took that conversation. Yeah, it's funny how opening up to each other created the relationship you know just being honest having that trust being able to you know be vulnerable created this yeah. you know great relationship between the two of you so did and he you didn't say flunk me i was gonna say did you me. go i'll accept an a minus is that what you told him well you know the the, <laughs> the the worst grade that you can get is a c minus and he gave me a c minus there are no d's and yeah. so i got a c minus so and, and, you got, and you got a degree I did. I actually, I left the um, pre-med and ran, ran straight across the quad to sociology, and so I got my degree in sociology. And here you are. And here I am. So you've determined a conversation needs to take place. Uh, it's in your heart's in the right place. You're doing it for the right reasons, and you've got enough courage to go have that conversation with whomever you're speaking to. What are some techniques uh, that you can use to have that conversation? So I think the hardest part is like just letting the person know that there's an issue and that you need to talk to them. And so I think that um, what I, I always find is really helpful helpful is to making the person feel comfortable. You know, so if they're going to come to your office, um, you know, making them feel comfortable, asking if they want a, a beverage or making sure that they're, you know, seated comfortably. And then um, just starting just be super transparent you know don't beat around the bush um, just let them know um, you know that you have a concern so for example um, you know we'll use the you know maybe you notice that somebody's been out sick a lot so they're not on family medical leave but you notice when you're approving their time that they seem to be like sick every Monday or sick every Friday or sick the first um, shift of the set or the last um, 
shift of the set or maybe their behavior is changing, but just coming out and saying, I noticed that um, you have been um, out, out sick a lot and, and you know, wondering if there is something that I can do to help support you or if you notice their behavior has changed. You know, um, I notice that you've been more quiet than usual. You're usually much more engaging. And so um, is there something that I can do uh, or is there something that um, you're struggling with right now that I can help you get support for? Or, you know, if somebody's late a lot, you know, are there obstacles that you are experiencing that are preventing you from coming to work um, late? So help me understand what you, what's going on and what I can do to support you. See, a normal firefighter conversation would go like this. Josh, tell me why you're abusing sick leave. <laughs> that's how I would start that conversation. Maybe that's why it hasn't worked out in the past. <laughs> and I would come up with some really, really witty excuse that would make total sense or none at all. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I'm glad we're getting into this part of the conversation because one of the things that we talked about in our original conversation was, you know, is there a way, how can we develop a script that, you know, almost a script that you can give somebody to be able to have that. And I've been, as we've been doing this, I've been kind of writing down some words. Um, you just mentioned comfortable and um, a word that I had written down before was safe. You know, how do we make somebody feel safe? And I think you, you know, you kind of touched on that. Um, and then that also, I think that is also through the established relationship from day to day stuff too, you know, kind of building that trust, right? Wouldn't you think that, that trust yeah, I mean, trust is that? a trust is a big thing because even I think when at least I've you know I've experienced situations where I've seen two people who in this department who have been friends for a really long time and the minute one of the individuals says I'm not comfortable can we talk the other person is like mm, this is weird I don't trust you uh, suddenly they don't there's that trust is gone and so I always think that's really interesting when the one person has the courage to say I there's a situation I need to work through the other person immediately become suspicious and so that trust piece is a bit really big thing so I'm always I always tell people just you know relax we're not this isn't going to be one person ganging up on the other you're both going to get an opportunity to talk about what you think is going on yeah and you so you just in that um what you just talked about you just took ownership in it again by you said there's something that I need to work through you know, and, and that's something that we talked about before. You also use the words, you know, help me understand. And so what I'm seeing is kind of this trend in trying to take some ownership in the conversation and, and having, you know, what's my role in it? Okay, I need to understand, you know, what you're doing. So please help me with that. Um, yeah. A couple other things is, uh, you know, how do we do it professionally? Um, how do we do it with respect? Um, can we touch on those two real quick? You know, like what's what's uh, what's the difference in your mind? What's the difference in a respectful conversation and a professional conversation? Because to me, they kind of they 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 go together. Yeah, I think um, so. You can be. I mean, I I w will respect people, other people's opinions, um, but when we're sharing, I want them to be share them in a professional way. And so, you know, again, when, you know, when, when you're coming into a room and sitting down, usually 
you know, the greeting. Like some people will come in and they're like, they're already mad because they're coming into your office and so they'll just you know, walk in and plop down and don't look at you and, you know, do you, would you like some water? No. You know, that kind of thing. And so that, I don't think that's very professional. Now, I might respect that they are annoyed or angry or frightened. Usually it's frightened. Um, but I still want them to be professional. And so there's times when people come in my office, whether it's um, some situation that they've gotten themselves into or uh, even when I've gotten myself in situations and it's like I've, I, I need to be respectful of their feelings um, and I may be really angry, but I have to be professional. And so I think that um, they really go hand in hand. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, do you, if somebody comes in and sits down in your office, or if I'm the company officer and somebody comes and sits down and they have that, that demeanor, that attitude, do you think it's appropriate for me to go, look, I can see and I can understand why you'd be upset for me calling you in here? You know, do, it, would that work as almost a little bit of an icebreaker to, um, you know, kind of help facilitate that conversation? I think so. And I think, too, um, that you know the again it's often just the the idea that they're you know typically in HR um, I don't know if you know if you're in a in a fire station and you're the officer and you call somebody into your office I'm going to guess that you know if you call someone in, into your office they're going to know okay and you shut the door and then the crew is in the kitchen that they're probably going to be a little bit on edge too so I think sometimes um, trying to do it on the most neutral ground is probably really helpful too. So, you know, I've done, I've had situations where I've taken the person to, to coffee or tea or um, somewhere away from the office so that they don't feel like, because, you know, with the office here, people come in, they know that somebody's in there, you know, close, you close the blinds. And so it's just kind of a little freaky for people. So just doing it maybe somewhere that's a little bit more neutral so they don't feel like, um, you know, there's all that pressure on, on them. Yeah, it's funny. I, I've had a couple of conversations where I've had people come in to my office and sit down, and, and really it wasn't about anything that they did wrong. But I immediately had this feeling that I had to tell them, like, hey, this is a positive conversation. Like, hey, I need your help with something, you know, and just – and I don't know what it is about that stigma of you're coming in the office, we're closing the door, and I want to have a conversation with you of, oh, okay, oh, and just so you know, like you're not in trouble, <laughs> that, we have to, that we have to think along those lines. Yeah. Well, I think I've had that conversation with the sick leave problems um, and the sick leave, noticing patterns in sick leave and, and uh, potentially excessive use of sick leave. That's what's driving the conversation, but the conversation is actually being had because I, I'm worried about the person. That's why I say, you know, find out the real reason you're having the conversation. It's not necessarily that they've used all their sick leave, but what's, why is it, you know? So I, I've started that conversation like, uh, I'm worried about you and I need, I need some help from you. You know, I noticed that you're using excessive sick leave or what I perceive as excessive sick leave. Is there something that I can do to help? You know, and that changes the tone of the conversation. It's not the, Josh, tell me why you're abusing sick leave. It's, I notice something's going on here. Is there something going on here? Is there something I can help you with? So you're not, you're not assuming ill will right off the bat. You're assuming, hey, something's wrong. There's something out of the ordinary here. 
what is that provide me the information so we can help you out and we get that with trainees quite often like they don't want to say anything to us and they end up not meeting the standard of the the academy and we have to terminate and then they tell us something in the termination meeting that well you know i've been having trouble my daughter's got health issues I, right. I, I go from the academy to children's hospital and then come here in the morning because i sleep in the room and we just didn't know yeah. and we're all we're too far past you know where we could have helped and so opening up that dialogue and just saying hey I, I care about you as a person i care about what's going on this isn't normally the way you are help me understand so i can provide you the help you need to be successful yeah, I think that also it makes that person. If you had that conversation with me and started out the opposite with that way, saying, hey, I'm worried about you, then I think it would make me feel valued first. And then, you know, then, okay, and then here's why I'm worried about you instead of going, hey, you've been, you've been sick every first shift of the set. And I'm like, okay, you don't care about me, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that's, you know, just kind of bringing that value, making that person feel valued. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, too, um, you know, it's helpful, too, for people who are not necessarily supervisors to understand that um, rather than suffer in silence that, you know, go to your chain of command or go to your supervisor and say, hey, you know, I'm not not feeling myself, feeling like my old self or, you know, I'm struggling and, you know, help me figure out how um, I can work through this because from what I know of the folks in this job, we are really, really great at helping people find the resources that they need. Um, I see it every day in this department. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of resources available to us, but if I, I don't know that there's a problem, I can't, I can't help. Right. Well... I think for for me, Angela, that was the big, you know, kind of the biggest thing that I wanted to get out of this conversation is just to kind of open, um, you know, open that door a little bit for people to go, it's okay to have difficult conversations. It's my job to have difficult conversations. And when I'm going to have these, you know, here's kind of the script that I can, that I can use to follow. And, um, you know, I, I appreciate that you also mentioned the kindness part of it. You know, is it, is it kind? Um, I think something my wife used to always ask me, she, she would say, is it, before you say something, she would talk to the kids maybe me but she would say is it kind and and then if I would say no then the next thing she she would say is is it necessary (laughs) and you know and I think that kind of plays into this too you know a lot of the conversations that we're going to have as especially as company officers it's necessary conversations you know to help a person um, you know better their career or help the organization you know I was when I was I mentioned I was go- went through a divorce and I was in therapy and and I turned out that turned out that I was I was a stuffer and so I would like stuff a lot of feelings and things um, until like my head would explode and then when it did you know my ex-husband was like wow where'd all this come from and so I think that it really taught me that it's better to have that constant relief valve so when you get to the point where you feel like you need to have that conversation have that because if you really kind of stuff it when the day comes that you can't stuff it anymore you blow up on this person and they're just like where did this come from so just you know it's healthy it's healthier to um, have that little relief release valve that 
you know, lets that pressure out on a regular basis. And you get the more you do it, the better you you get at it. And it's and it's not just something that you use at work. I mean, I've used it in relationships um, with my family, with my kids, and I think it's just it make it made me healthier to be able to have the difficult conversations. I've got so I've got one more question for you, and it kind of goes back to the earlier part of this conversation. Do you feel like, as an organization, that we are, um, and I want to say using you, <laughs> that's probably not the right right way to say it, but you know, using you as the right resource, and by that, are we calling you enough? You know, um, when when people are when they don't know the right words to use or when they want to have that conversation, do you feel like that you're being utilized as as that type of a resource, or I th- could I you think feel we so. could do better? I mean, I think um, probably more people could call, but um, definitely. I think the words out that, you know, before you promote, you might want to call HR and talk to the HR captain or Angela, because we have a lot of um, interesting um, information to share, things that people um, get, will help people in the promotional process. So yeah, I think I've seen a pretty significant uptick in that, not only with at lieutenant level, but the captain and battalion chief level as well. So a lot of stuff goes on in HR that's been really helpful to people who've tested very well so you know using us as a resource has been good and I think that um, you know people pretty much what I do like is that you know I get calls from people about anything and everything so even though I don't necessarily deal every day with benefits or payroll or I mean people will call me and ask me you know can you tell me what policy has blah 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 even though that's um, not really what I do on a daily basis, people still call me for that, and I appreciate it because I think every time someone calls me for whatever it is, that it makes them realize that HR is really a resource so that people can do their job better and get the information that they need for their folks. And then it's not really um, the purpose isn't really for discipline and for firing people because I think, you know, as I mentioned during the officers' meetings, and I hope that it was shared with the line that. I don't have the authority to fire anybody or discipline anybody. I'm just the um, sort of the facilitator for those conversations. And so, any if you are in in a predicament, you are going to get the human. Hey, what's how can I help support you? Whatever the outcome, um, because I still care about you as an individual because you're a human being and not you know you're a jerk kind of um, reaction. So, um, I think I think. That was a long, long response for uh, a short answer, but I think so. I, w- I would like people to visit more and not worry so much about um, what they view as the negative side of HR. But yeah, I think that you know, after ten years of being here, I feel like people are much more comfortable being in, you know, in HR. I think you're very approachable, but that Captain Halsey guy you have in there. <laughs> Somebody needs to have a, a courageous conversation with that guy. It's a good thing his office is back in the corner. You don't have to walk past his yeah. office to get to you because otherwise nobody would show up over there. I he know. Is, I have been. Is scary. I have been so <laughs> fortunate to have had, um, you know, um, Captain Leland and Bartlett and Patterson, now Halsey. I mean, I just, it's, it's hard having somebody that you have to train every two or three years to get them up to speed but once they do they're just amazing and so I could not have I could not be more blessed with the captain so well don't mess with my HR captain <laughs> <laughs> you know I, I guess one thing I want to impress upon people before we, we cut out of here is this is 
pretty normal. It's it's normal to not like these conversations. Um, I'm pretty non-confrontational. I don't I don't enjoy conflict. I didn't I don't enjoy confrontation. Uh, I do it because it's part of my job, but it's certainly not something that I look forward to. And I've had to um, look at ways to de-escalate the conversation before it happens. And that's you know through using different languages like hey, I'm worried about you or or help me understand or set up the conversation so it can be successful and not confrontational because I don't do well in those situations. Um, if you're looking for a resource to kind of learn how to do some of these conversations, uh, Crucial Conversations is a great book and I'm sorry the, the authors of that book escape me right now, but it's a really good book, like I said, called Crucial Conversations and it walks you through in pretty pretty plain language, which is what I need on how to have these conversations. So look that up, Crucial Conversations, if, if you're you know struggling uh, with the same type of things that I do and, and not liking the conflict and the confrontation. So before we get out of here, I also, I just want to use this opportunity to say thank you. And not only for coming on the podcast with us today, but also I've been fortunate enough to be, you know, right across the hall from you and the conversations that I've been able to have since we're so close to each other, you know, in proximity over here have really helped me, I um, feel, progress, you know, as a professional, as a company officer, and really just in that human relationship side of, of how we do our job. So just wanted to take this opportunity to say thanks for kind of what you've You're done so for welcome. me since I've been up here as well. You're very welcome. I, as you know, I have really enjoyed having the collaborative relationship that we do with training it's every every time there's a rotation it gets better and better so except you guys can't leave yeah so. we're, we're not allowed to leave <laughs> <laughs> well i'm not going anywhere so josh uh, might promote out but i i'm, I'm here uh, i think i'm i'm pretty much stuck all right <laughs> in a good way yeah. i'm i'm making myself stick <laughs> thank you for your time thanks for coming down if thank if you. anybody needs any more information please feel free to contact miss hines in the in the hr division uh, they'll help you out with anything from paychecks to benefits to time cards to whatever whatever you need help with to crucial conversations um, please give them a call uh, they're a great resource for our human resources so if you need anything please give them a call anytime and we'll talk to you next time Sounds thanks everybody good. thank yep. you thank you Welcome back from our interview with Miss Angela Hines from the Human Resources Division here at the Fire Department. We enjoyed doing that conversation. We hope you enjoyed listening to it. Um, I wanted to ask Josh, give us a give us a story about sometime you had to have a tough conversation in your time in operations. Yeah, you know we've all had to have them, but this is just another opportunity for me to throw myself under the bus. <laughs> You're so, good at it. <laughs> I am. I like to, you know, I, I'm i going to say I'm trying trying my best to take accountability for all of my actions. Yeah, and I, man, I think we all have, God, I have, I have some doozies, yeah. doozy stories. I don't know that I want to share them here, but I got some doozies. But since you're willing yeah. and, and you wear tire tracks so well, 
give yeah. us a story. Yeah, so, you know, and obviously I've, I've had a few interactions with people that I wish would have gone better, but um, the one that I'm speaking of, um, speaking of specifically um, was as a company officer, uh, not even a newer, you know, um, you know, within the first few years, um, company officer. Um, we had a one of those early morning calls after a long, busy shift um, with some of our, our uh, population that happens to live on the streets. Station one, right? Yeah, so we were at station one. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, you know, after one of those 20 alarm days where everybody's tired, um, you know, I'm working. Um, actually, I was working an overtime shift and I was working with a crew that wasn't typically my crew, but um, obviously people that I knew very well because it was just across shifts from me. And um, after a long day, we, we went on a call with, with a homeless person and um, one of the um, firefighters um, on my company at the time had a conversation, had an interaction with the homeless person that at that time wasn't acceptable to me. You know. Um, they they were not getting the care that I felt like that person deserved. Um, you know, that was my perception. Um, it's my responsibility as a company officer to make sure the scenes, I'm the one that's going to have to answer to it. Um, so on that, um, you know, on that incident, um, I quickly just changed the trajectory, trajectory of the way that that was going. Um, we treated the patient, um, transported the patient, sent him off. And after that, I immediately let my emotions and the emotions of the day get in the way. So the whole way back from, you know, that call, which in one's district is like two minutes, <laughs> is I'm, I'm fuming the whole way back. And as soon as we pull back into the station and the station, um, you know, shuts off, I drop my headset, I get out of the station, and I immediately, you know, um, begin the conversation of what my expectations are and how we're going to treat our customers and the way that I, you know, want to see us do business. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't my best, um, it wasn't my best day having a conversation. Um, I was tired. Everybody on the crew was tired. Um, I was emotionally charged when I had that conversation. And what that did was it started myself and this other person down this path of, a period of time where our relationship quickly deteriorated. Um, so now I'm working across shifts on this person. And what I started to recognize was when I would walk into a room, this person would walk out of the room. And um, I started, you know, to really notice that. And I wasn't comfortable with it. It had a pretty big effect on me. And so the difficult conversation in this to me was what I chose to do was um, kind of try to drop my guard, go in off duty, take my uniform off, my rank off, go in in civilian clothes, have the conversation with this person um, um, at a time where hopefully they were in a position of feeling comfortable on their own shift. I wanted to let them know that, look, I'm here to basically mend a relationship, not tell you, not tell you what my expectations are. Um, and we were able to, I feel like we were able to have a really great conversation, a really open conversation that allowed me to get to know this person better, allowed me to understand what their needs were, um, understand some things that were impacting them. And on the flip side of that, for them to understand me a little bit better. And I believe that that really mended the relationship to where today I feel like I've got a great relationship with this person now. And, um, you know, so I look at that and there's a couple things, you know, one on scene, sure, the incident, I feel like it was handled and managed, 
but the original conversation that I had, it was the wrong time for me. Um, it, I should have given myself a little bit of chance to wind down, um, let my emotions kind of subside a little bit, and then had a, a better conversation. And it might not have led to the second, that you know, third conversation and the whole thing. But for me, I felt comfortable with being able to recognize I could have done a better job. I'm going to be the one. I'm going to reach out and you know try to do the best that I can to mend this. And it was very difficult for me to do that. It was hard for me to drop my guard. Um, but looking back on it, hindsight, I believe that relationship-wise, that was the best thing that I did. You know, a couple things. All the times that I have gotten in trouble in conversations and in interactions with people, it's because the emotions got better of me. And I'm not a super emotional person, but you know, I don't speak well anyway, especially when I'm in a confrontational kind of conversation. And so the emotions got better to me and it never turns out the way I wanted it to. So I think the big thing that I've always done is, you know, go back and apologize. You know, the only rule I, when I come in and I screw up and I, and I come to apologize, the only rule I tell people is just don't hit me in the face. <laughs> you just, I don't heal well. I'm getting older. I never liked being punched in the face. So just you say what you want, use whatever words you want. It's your forum. You know, we got to get this out in the open. And I, I made the mistake, just don't punch me in the face. And to be on the safe side, I'm going to stand more than an arm length away from Exactly, you. exactly. So the taller guys, I got to be way across the room. The angry, fast guys, I got to be way across the room, <laughs> maybe with the door in between. But so... I take accountability for that. You know what I mean? If I make that mistake, I let the emotions get the best of me. Take accountability for my portion of it, but we got to finish the conversation. Right. You know, because we still have to come to an end. And what I like about that is you, you came to mend the relationship. Right. You know, it wasn't, you know, the incident happened, you had a disagreement, you know, the initial conversation was easy because it was emotionally charged. The hard conversation is like you said when you went back to mend the relationship, and that that's that shows value in that person, that shows value in that relationship, and that rebuilds the trust that you had between each other before. Right, and I truly feel that, that was my responsibility. It wasn't, you know, their responsibility to do that. You know, I'm the one that initiated the conversation, the original conversation. Um, I'm the one that said things that um, made that person upset, and. It's my responsibility to recognize that and take the first step and go back and say, we need to have this conversation. I, I wouldn't expect, you know, somebody to come to me and, and say, you know, this is what you said to me and this is why I'm upset with you. I should be the one that opens that door and says, I can see there's an issue. We need to have this conversation. I want you to be able to explain to me what did I say and what did I do that has put you in this place. And I had I had a similar situation when I was a lieutenant at Force. Um, another officer there on another shift, and I can't even remember so long ago. I can't even remember what that what I perceived that person did to me. But I would walk around like at shift change and not talk to him. I'd never I'd walk by, and go you're off, and then just keep walking, or you know never take a shift, you know never take information from the last shift, and it just. I can't remember why I felt like I was wronged, but I still feel emotional about that person because we never, we never, you know, mended that fence. And I always felt like, hey, that's, 
you know, that person should have come to me. He's the one that did whatever he did, right? Yeah. Um, I probably should have been the bigger person and gone in and made that right. But at some point, I just realized, like, this is ridiculous. Like, I don't – like, it's not good for anybody. Everybody in the station knows that we're, we're not getting along, and it just – it wasn't productive for anything, any practical practical pers- purpose other than my feelings were hurt. Yeah. You know, and so I just at some point had to let that go. Yeah, and it's funny. I look at that when I'm the person that's in that position, when I'm upset with somebody else, it, I always have to take a step back and recognize that it's actually it's my problem. That person might not even know <laughs> that, yeah. you know, that I'm upset with them. Yeah, and you got to own your piece of it, right? Right. Because there, there wasn't one person in that interaction. Right. There wasn't just me and that other officer. Or it wasn't just me, or or just the other officer. It was both of us. So that I ha- I probably have something to own on that. Uh, but that person has since retired, and I don't remember why I was upset anyway. So <laughs> uh, I would say my counselor tells me that I own fifty percent of all conversations. There you go. Your counselor is very wise. Well, I want to thank Miss Angela Hines for joining us this week. It, it was nice for her to come in. Um, you know, kind of put a face with the name for those of you that don't know her. She is she's really nice. The Human Resources Division is there to work for us. Um, when they talk about human resources, they're there to take care of our human resources, and and I think they do a very good job at that and, and use them as a resource if you, if you need them. Uh, thanks, Josh. Thanks for your time. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Be good to each other. It's important, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.